from a biblical perspective. And I'm going to take us back to Genesis. So if you, have, if you can, I'm going to read from the Amplified Version, but if you can go to Genesis chapter 3 from verses 1 to 6. So that's what I'm going to be reading from. Um, I'll give you some time to get there. Um, but as I said, I'll be reading from the Amplified Version just for clarity so everyone can kind of get the context of what's been said. So I'll give you a few seconds to turn there. So I'm going to read from there now. Okay. So it says, Now the serpent was more crafty, subtle, skilled in deceit, than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent, Satan, said to the woman, Can it really be that God had said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may not eat fruits from the trees of the garden, except the fruit from the, tr from the tree which is in the middle of the garden. God said, you shall not eat from it, nor touch it, otherwise you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, you, shall certainly, you certainly will not die, for God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. That is, you will, you will have greater awareness and you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. And then the woman saw the tree was good for food, and it was delightful to look at, and a tree to be desired in order to make one wise and insightful. She took some, some of its fruits and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband with her who ate it. So again, this scripture, the reason why I went here was because to me it was, it was profound that the enemy was able to use God's word against man and twist the word, distort the word, and sell it back to man in order for man to kind of basically sin um, and using God's word, as I said, to, to do that as a weapon. Because obviously we know that the enemy knows the word better than, than man. Um, so, yeah, I just saw this as, as, as quite an interesting scripture to kind of use the reference point as the origins of false teaching from its very early stages. Has anyone got any questions to ask? Has anyone got, think anything of that scripture that I read that they might have, that might have ministered to them or they want to open up before I move on to the next scripture? Okay. Um, for me personally, I wanted to look at, I wanted to look at verse four. So verse four in the Amplified Version says, um, give me a second. But the serpent said to the woman that you, sh you shall certainly not die, for God knows that the day that you eat from the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will have greater awareness and you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. So again, here, the reason why this verse ministered to me and what I saw in it is, again, is that the enemy was able to use the word of God. So it just, it, it, for me, it showed me that man, if man doesn't know the word fully and meditate on the word and have it in, it, have it in our hearts, there's an opportunity for us to get doctrine given back to us from a heretic, heretical perspective, meaning that the word can be distorted, add to or taken away or given to us or dressed up in a way for us to, to commit sin or to, and I, I don't mean sin in a sense of premeditated sin. I mean sin from a perspective of it being sold to us in a way where God's word's been used for us to do it, do it in a way of us not knowing, which was the result in the fall of man. Um, also, let me just look again, verse 6. 
and in verse six it says, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delightful to look at and a tree to be desired in order to make one wise and insightful, she took from, from its fruit and ate it. So again, it's God specifically told man not to take from that tree, otherwise it would be a sin. But obviously the enemies use God's word again uh, in order for, for man to look at. So it's almost like today I can kind of put it in context where there's something said in a lot of churches in relation to prosperity. And I feel like there's a lot of times where pastors say things such as God doesn't want us to be poor. God, God wants to bless us abundantly financially. So we're not talking about, for me, the reason why I use this as a reference point is because the, the, the fruit's been used and something that appeases the flesh has been used. So what I'm saying is in essence, a lot of churches, you'll hear pastors speaking about money, prosperity and finance. These are things that are feeding our flesh. And we know that abundantly, really, we need to be fed in our spirit. So this kind of ministered to me on that level in terms of how um, God's word has been used for us to commit, for the man to commit sin there. And also, I wouldn't say sin in the sense of us wanting finance, I don't believe is a sinful thing, but I believe it becomes distorted when we go to church and we have a relationship with Christ based on transactional Christianity in terms of going to God for finances, going to church for things uh, that will benefit us in terms of our physical experience, in terms of our finances and things like that. You know, I believe, I can't remember the exact scripture, I don't want to paraphrase, but there was a time when uh, people were only following Jesus because of bread. They weren't, they weren't following Jesus because of what he could give them spiritually. Um, so yeah. Um, so yeah, that's it. So has anyone got any questions in relation to that? I just want to ask if, if Christian, who just came in, if you could mute your phone for me, please. Thank you. Um, so yeah, if no one's got any questions, if we could all turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Okay, so this, I'm just going to be reading from this now because this, it kind of links with what I read slightly. As I said, I've already just read from the, the origins of when God's word was first distorted and, and man was, man was uh, kind of given false information. So I'll read from, chapter, from verse 1. I'm going to go up to verse 15. Again, I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. So this is Paul, Apostle Paul, speaking to the people of Corinth um, during a time when there was some false teaching being done by some false apostles during that time. So I'll read it very anyone will unload it. So it says, I wish you would bear with me a little while while I indulge in a little foolishness. But indeed you are bearing with me as you read this. I am jealous with you. Sorry, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy because I have promised you to be one husband to present you as pure as a pure virgin to Christ. Uh, verse three, but I am afraid that even as the serpent beguiled Eve by his cunning, by cunning your minds, uh, sorry, 
Eve by his cunning, your minds may be corrupted and led away by simplicity of your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For you seem willing to allow it, to allow it, if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted. You tolerate all this beautifully, welcoming the deception. Yet I consider myself in no way inferior to the so-called super apostles. But even if I am unskilled in speaking, yet I am not untrained in knowledge. If I know, that, if I know what I'm talking about, but we have made this evident to you in every way, in all things, or did I perhaps sin by humbling myself to you, by humbling myself that you might be exalted and honored because I preached God's gospel to you, free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting more than their share of financial support for my ministry to you. And when I was with you and ran short financially, I did not burden any of you, for what I what I needed was fully supplied by the brothers Silas and Timothy, who came from Macedonia, the church of Philippi. So I kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. As the truth of Christ is in me, my boast of independence will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia, southern Greece. Why? Because I do not love you or wish you well or have regard for your welfare. God knows that I do. But what I am doing, I will keep doing for I am determined to keep this independence in order to cut off the claim of those who want an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things that they brag about. For such men are counterfeit apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, since Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So is it, not, is it, no, it is no great surprise if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness, but their end will correspond with their deeds. So I know that was quite a long read, but does anyone have anything to say? Is, is anything spoken to anyone at all? I'm going to come in there. For okay. me, it's, it, it's saying, um, being a, a catechist myself, um, or there's, there's loads of um, force called the devil could use anybody to do his bidding. You know, so, um, how do I put it? I don't want to be condescending, but... Um, yeah, there's a there's a lot going on there that is um, false gods, you know, um, and is giving you uh, the bad news, making you feel good about yourself, but in the wrong way. Mm. If you understand where I'm coming from. Yeah, 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 I do. So, I think what what stuck out to me the most about this scripture was when he was talking about preaching a different Jesus and a different gospel with a different spirit. Um, the reason why I say that is because from a biblical perspective, we understand what Jesus means to us. But if we compare how we view Jesus as biblical Christians compared to, let's say, someone who's Muslim, someone is Muslim who looks at Jesus, they believe in Jesus, 
as in Jesus to be a prophet. They don't believe in Jesus to be the son of God and God at the same time. Um, that's the same for people who are Jehovah's Witness. I've got a sister who's Jehovah's Witness. But again, every, these different faith groups and different, even people in the body of Christ, they can preach a different Jesus depending on how they attach the doctrine to it and, and sell it back to you. I don't want to say sell, but preach it to us individually. So I think for me, what Paul's saying in this scripture essentially is, if we go to the very beginning of what he says, he's saying that um, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy because I've promised you to one husband to present you pure, as a pure virgin to Christ. So what he's saying essentially in that first verse, second verse, is how he's preparing us or he was preparing them in Corinth um, for a relationship with Jesus because we all know that we are the bride of Christ. We're married to Jesus. So when he comes back, he's coming back for his church. And for those of you who might not know, he's not talking about the building. He's talking about us individually as Christians because this is where the Holy Spirit dwells. So he's angry, he's saying, with a godly jealousy because he's given them the doctrine, he's given them the gospel, which has been given to him by the Holy Spirit. And he set up these different churches and given them the correct, correct sound doctrine. But what happened is as he's left, there's been some other people that have come in and preached a different gospel, but they've been able to articulate themselves because he says here, um, you know, unlike the super apostles that are among you now, I believe from my research that these people have come in with different doctrine, have been, um, there's a word that we use in the body of Christ with some preachers, charismatic. So preachers who are a little bit more articulate, there's a way that they deliver the gospel to us, which sounds good. Um, you know, I'll give you a quick um, idea of what I mean. I used to go to a church before and their mantra was shaping lives, fulfilling dreams and guaranteeing success. That was their, that was their pinnacle um, mantra, we could say. And for me, going to that church, I never went there for that reason. But if you're saying those three things to somebody, you're not really coming for Jesus. You're coming for guaranteed success. You're coming for your life to be shaped not by Christ, and you're coming for your dreams to be fulfilled. Um, so what I'm saying in essence is that if you're going to look for Christ and you're going to get the sound doctrine that you're looking for, you've got to be going purely for the, for the word of God and for the spirit of, of for the, spirit, the Holy Spirit as well. Anyone got anything else to say? No. Okay. I'll just say another thing as well. When we say like, uh, when I say like a, a different Jesus as well, um, I'll give another example. Christmas time is a time where a lot of people come together to celebrate Christ or Christmas, the gathering of families. But there's a lot of people who are celebrating the birth of Jesus. So Again, this is a different Jesus because we all know the Jesus that actually went into ministry from the age of 30 years old to 33 was a Jesus of repentance, whereas the Jesus of Nazareth, the baby Jesus, is more celebrating the life. So if we're opening presents and we're celebrating Christmas, which is good, but those who are not Christian are not looking at it from a perspective of repentance and salvation. So again, that again is another way I could use as an example of a different Jesus. Um, and um, bear me a moment. And so, yeah, for me, it's just like the questions that I want to ask. I mean, I don't know if anyone, you know, you don't have to answer it now, but the questions that I pose myself while reading that scripture is um, how are we supposed to preach Jesus? If you were to speak to Jesus about 
if you speak to somebody who's not in Christianity about Jesus, what would you say? How would you speak about Jesus from a perspective of making that person repent or making that person seeing Jesus as you see Jesus, as the, our Lord and Saviour, and someone that has died for our sins um, and died on the cross? Can anyone answer that? Okay. Um, and there's another two questions, two things I wanted to pose. I'll put this at the end of the group as well. There's a right way to preach Jesus and know him. Um, and I'd also say that there's a wrong way to preach Jesus and know him. Do you see what I mean? So um, someone said choice or choose, David. Okay. Um, yeah, so again, like I said, there's, I want to quickly turn, if you can quickly, um, turn to 1 Timothy 3.16, the King James Version. Okay, so I'll just quickly read from it. And this is, for me, this is like a standout point to identify when in any kind of conversation with anyone in Christianity, whether they're pastor, preacher or minister. Um, and it says, and without controversy, the great, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, flesh justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. So this scripture to me is, is clearly identifying that Jesus was born as a man, but is also God. Um, so again, if we're not seeing that being spoken about in, in, in the body of Christ, if we're not identifying Jesus as from that perspective um, or not being preached about in that perspective, then that's a clear indication of things not really kind of going the way they should be. And also, like I said, I think the clear point for me is repentance. If we're not preaching, if we're not in a congregation or in a, in a body of Christ or worship or church where the pastor or the leader is not preaching on repentance, um, then I think we've got a bit of an issue. And I just want to touch back on the scripture that I was on previously as well. Dan, can I say something? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, for example, if um, the pastor is um, preaching a good word, but he's not um, preaching on repentance, what does it mean? Does he, is he, would you say he's a um, kind of, how do I say, would you say that he's a good pastor from God or would you say that, um, that he must preach on repentance? Does every pastor have to preach on repentance? In order to I, think, I, I, think it's in, I think in regards to our salvation as Christians, for us individually going to the church, I'm not saying that the pastor needs to preach on repentance every single sermon, but if we know that the pastor is talking about something in regards to a specific thing, so let's just say, let's just talk about fornication in, in the body of Christ. We know that fornicating before marriage, because sex is a covenant. That's a covenant between a man and a woman, which should only be done in marriage. So if the pastor preaches on sex before marriage, and uh, let's not say sex, but let's just say fornication, if the pastor preaches on fornication and he doesn't preach on, on us repenting of that fornication, 
then I believe it's a detriment to our walk as Christians because repent means to stop and to turn from what we're doing and to, and to ask for God's forgiveness, obviously, but to stop what we're doing, to turn from. So if he's not preaching on repentance from a particular sin, I wouldn't say he's a false teacher, but he's not, he's not trying to get, stop you from, from essentially being in that bondage of sin. So I think it's important for pastors to tell us what we're doing wrong and to correct us from what we're doing wrong. It's the same as if we have a child. If you have a child that's doing something wrong, you're going to tell them, you're going to, you're going to correct that child. So I believe that no matter how old we are in Christianity, we're all children of God. Some are at different levels. Some are on milk, some are on food. As long as we all understand what we're doing is wrong, we turn from that, from a biblical perspective using scripture, then yeah. Anybody else? Um, there was another scripture in here as well, in the second Corinthians two, where Paul's talking about finances um, as, as, as a preacher during this time. So um, I just wanna go back to it very quickly. So in, from chapter seven, it says, or did I perhaps sin humbling myself so that you might be exalted and honored because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge. I robbed other churches by accepting more than their share of financial support for my ministry to you. So what Paul's saying in that scripture is that during that time, the false preachers that came in were charging people for the gospel. They were actually making them pay for God's word. And Paul was saying during that time, even though he needed money, Paul didn't have any food to eat. He relied on other churches to actually support him and his ministry to bring God's word around during that time. Now, <laughs> I know this is a bit of a controversial topic. I'm not saying that, that it's wrong for pastors to ask for people to tithe. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is you have got a, a culture of finance being quite a big thing. So, you know, I'll give you an example. I got, up, I got invited to an apostles event um, who basically said, in order for us to receive a blessing, um, we have to bring a check to the front for 300 pounds. Now, you know, some people decided to go and pay that amount of money. And there's somewhere there's been, you know, uh, pastors asking for some money for anointing oil. You know, um, again, I'm just using Paul's, what Paul said. And Paul is saying he didn't charge them for the gospel. He didn't charge them as someone to spread the word of God. And he relied on his brothers and sisters. I know that back then, um, in the New Testament time, the culture of, of the Jewish and Hebrews, they kind of supported each other from a family perspective financially. But what I'm saying is, if Paul's saying as a man of God who had a direct dealing with Jesus, you know, didn't charge them for the gospel, but yet these people are coming in preaching heresy and twisting God's word, charge them for, for the gospel. You know, I think you can, you know, we, we can clearly see that he can judge via someone's fruits. Um, so yeah, anyone got any questions on that? Um, is it wrong for a pastor to live in, um, say living, um, I don't know, say, is it wrong for a pastor to have luxury stuff, like display luxury stuff? Because, um, because isn't it going to be distracting to people because people are going to be looking at the pastor. So he's got this, he's got this private, this, he's got this private, that, but instead of them mm -hmm. focusing on, um, 
uh, how to say, focusing on what God has presented to them. They're looking at what the pastor has, so it's going to distract them. Is it like, um, is it wrong for a pastor to have um, luxury, different luxury stuff? Uh, yeah, I think, I think, I think, you know what? It's, it's, it's such, I think for me, unless that pastor can really declare the finances, like there's some churches I know that they have a system where they actually declare the money, where the money goes, how the money is. But to answer your question, in terms of pastors having luxury items and private jets and multi-million pound houses, I only go based off biblical things, what the Bible says in terms of scripture. And all I can see within that is... Um, there's a, if, if, if his finances is only coming from the church, only coming from the body of Christ, then there might be some questions asked by people, rightfully so. Um, but if he's got a, a separate business venture, because you have got some pastors who sell books, you have got some pastors who have different business uh, that outside of, outside of the church. It's not for me to say, if I'm honest with you, but I think it's between them and God. And if they are spending money illegitimately and wrongly, then they do have to answer to the, to the church for that, I think. Um, I'm not a pastor. I don't know the full financial literacy behind how everything's orchestrated financially, so I can't say. But it, it, it does raise questions, I'll say that, for me. Does anyone... I think no. someone... A friend, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, can I just come in there? Um, I go to a Catholic church and um, we had a building fund go in, you know, um, and then um, everyone was quite happy because we was going to be fixing up the church, we was going to be fixing up the church hall so that the community can get, you know, use of that hall because it needed fixing. Mm-hmm. And then um, the priests moved on and another priest took over and then everything, you know, went to a standstill. And all of a sudden, um, we kept on, we saw the um, church, although we were still putting in the pounds, you know, every week for the, for the building fund, um, when we saw, like, things were happening and the hall wasn't being fixed, everybody went up in arms, you know, the congregation went up in arms. And we demanded to know where that money went. Mm. And we, you know, the, the finance, the, the, the paperwork was made available mm. for the leaders to come and see where that money went. So um, when Jess says that, is it wrong for pastors to be living in, in luxury? You know, um, some, because I'll, I'll come from a Catholic background, um, you don't always see that, you know, but some other churches, um, um, everybody's to their own, you know, uh, but some um, churches, they do feed on getting that money from the congregation. You know, um, my cousin, she joined the church and she actually gave up her high-powered job, um, gave half the salary that she got um, to the church. And then um, she ended up literally on the street if it wasn't for the family, you know, because she didn't have nothing because she gave everything to the church. No, she's pulled back now. Um, she's still in the church, but she's, it's like her eyes are open because everyone was getting, everyone that was the leaders, they were getting, you know, 
driving Mercedes Benz, so to speak, you know, and Rolls Royces, you know. So it did, you know, it does make you think, you know, whether they that should be, uh, um, how would I put it, a presidents for the pastors, for the vicars in the church, you know, because a lot of people just see, oh, well, you know, it's um, it's a God, you know, a, a worship thing that they would, you know, give pastor that much money if he's asked for, you know, to give it to him. But who benefits, you know, who benefits from, it could be false worship, you know? Mm-hmm. And everyone's yeah. quiet, but, you know, I don't want to, you know, no, I'm not no, a- church. Because I'm I'm a, I'm a Catholic, I'm a true fact Catholic. I've got my rosary there with me. I say well, my rosary every day, you know. Um, but yeah, it, do, it still does make me, you know, think. I've come from a um, Catholic background. I've done. Um, I was a catechist, a Sunday school teacher in a Catholic church. Um, I still teach young children, um, you know, away from the church. You know, so I still have my belief because I was my grandmother brought me up with her in the West Indies, so it's still in me. But it does still make me think, you know. Yeah. Because you, no, you, you know, you learn things every day. I definitely, definitely. Yeah. The only thing I would say to answer your question, I know someone else has got a question in the group. I'll answer in a minute. Mm-hmm. The only thing I'll say to that is, when you're giving, in terms mm-hmm. of like your your um your tithes or your offerings. Yeah. You're giving to God. So, do you yeah, understand? So, I feel it, like, yeah. for me, it's down to the, it's almost like this. It's almost like I know that if I go to a shop to buy something, mm-hmm. if the manager who's counting up the money at the end of that day, if it's, I don't know, like a clothing store, decides to take that money and spend mm-hmm. it on his wife, that's, that's, that's his choice. That's his, but, that's his conscience, yeah. Yeah, so, so for us as Christians, when we're giving, when we're tithing, we're giving unto God because yeah. a lot of this is Old Testament. Back in the Old Testament, what people would do, it would be offerings. So they'd be giving mm-hmm. offerings unto God, but a lot of the time it would be sin offerings. So it would be a dove, it, it would be a specific mm-hmm. animal that would be very hard to get or quite expensive. So when we're giving these things unto God, he knows Just our heart. From there. Yeah. yeah, he knows our heart. So we can't, when these people are spending the money on what they're spending it on, mm-hmm. I'll get to that. I'll, I've got a scripture for that, but I'll get to that. But... Um, <laughs> But yeah, so no, I, I, say, I just wanted to say that because you know, I mean, with me, um, even like when I've been ill, I've managed to go to church because I need that blessing. I'm not going for the priest, I'm not going for the congregation, but because for my spiritual, you know, so so, so to speak. Yeah, and if I can't cool. go, I would do the, the the prayers at home, you know. Yeah, of course. Um, no, I school. no, I get it. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to answer David's question because he said he, he's, got, he's got a question here. So it says, some pastors mm-hmm. force other people to give money every Sunday to give. The last, last year, my pastor was asking me to give money every Sunday, even though I didn't have money to give. Um, okay. See, if your pastor's... Sorry, I was just reading that from the chat. Um, to answer your question, David, if your pastor's forcing you every Sunday to give, there's a problem. There's a problem there because... You know, if you don't have it, giving is not, it's not an obligation. You're not obligated to give. As, as we just, as I just said to, um, to the mum there, um, it has to come from the heart. Even if you've got the money, you don't want to give it. It's, it's not something that you're forced to do. You're giving from your heart because you want to give to God. Also, I just want to say something else as well. Like giving doesn't always have to, it's not, 
It doesn't have to be financial. You can give in other ways. You can give in service to God. You can see somebody in the back of your church who's, a, who's an auntie or who's an uncle, and you might want to offer to clean that person's house for a month. Do you know what I mean? You can give in that way. For example, I've given, I give financially, but I also give in terms of how I can support people in the body of Christ. You know, it might be seeing someone in a hospital who hasn't got any family, who hasn't got any money, and I might go to the, to the hospital and give that person, buy that person food, rips, you know, be around that person for a while. These are various ways you can give. If your pastor is asking, forcing you to give, then I think you know, you've got a problem there. You've got a really big problem there. Um, I just wanted to, I just wanted to read another, another, another chapter from the book of Galatians, chapter one, um, from verse six. So I'll just quickly read, um, but I'll put all these in the group after for everyone to get the book, the verses and to read over it. So again, this is Paul speaking again, Apostle Paul still speaking again. Um, so it says, I am astonished and extremely irritated that you are so quickly shifting your allegiance and deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different, even contrary gospel, which is not really another gospel. But there are obviously some people masquerading as teachers who are disturbing and confusing you with misleading counterfeit teaching and want to distort the gospel of Christ, twisting it into something which it obviously is not. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that originally preached to you, let him be commended to destruction. So they're saying that even an angel from heaven, an angel, if the angel from heaven distorts the word of God or changes the word of God to teach you a different gospel, he, he's to be condemned. So, you know, if, if, if Paul's speaking with the power and the utterance of the Holy Spirit, talking about what the outcome would be from an angel from heaven for distorting the word of God, what do you think the outcome would be for a preacher in the church? You know, um, and again, I don't want to focus purely on the financial side because it is one big topic in the body of Christ. But if a pastor is using the gospel to make you give, it's happened to me. I've been in a church before where I was very new in my walk. It was my first year in Christ. I didn't know much about the body, about, I didn't know the, the scriptures theologically well for myself, um, but I still had the presence of the Holy Spirit, which convicted me that something wasn't right. And what it was is that we finished our period of prayer and fasted for 21 days. And the pastor basically said that one of the congregation laid it upon her heart to pay the electric bills for the church for the rest of her life. Now that's fine because that's something she wanted to do. But he used that as a reference point to say that we need to give, which is fine. I don't mind if you ask that you feel like we need to give, that's okay. But he said he wanted us to give a sacrificial offering. Now he opened up and said that it needs to be something that hurts, something that isn't easy for us to give, hence why it's a sacrificial offering. And he gave, he got the ushers to go around and give all of us pieces of paper. We're talking a congregation of three, 400 people um, and write down the amount of money you're going to give and your name next to it. And he asked even people that had their wives or their husband next to them to speak, he gave us people five minutes. But as soon as he said that, I felt in my spirit quite uncomfortable. Because, again, if I'm going to give anything to God, it's between me and God. 
the amount that I give to God shouldn't matter. And if it's a sacrificial offering, then God needs to lay that on my heart that I need to do it, not a man. Um, so I, I'm just saying that in, as a reference point to say that I've been not a victim, but I've been in a, in a congregation where that type of doctrine, because if you go back to biblical times, there were sacrificial offerings unto God. Uh, there were people that gave sacrificial offerings. But again, that text that the pastor used from the Bible, he used that for financial gain um, to the body of Christ or to wherever that money was going to go. But again, for me, I didn't know the word of God well enough to know that that wasn't right. But I'm saying this, I'm giving you this story because even without knowledge of the word of God fully, you'll have the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will give you the discernment to know that that isn't right. So really, this whole thing today really is just to kind of bring your attention to false preachers that twist doctrine and, you know, might come to you with doctrine that you kind of know, but they've twisted it a little bit. My advice to everybody is to pray for discernment and to pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit, as well as reading the word of God and understanding text for yourself. Because the relationship with Christ, you know, if I want to speak to Jessica on this phone now, I'm going to call Jessica and speak to her. I'm not going to call David and tell David to call Jessica for me so I can speak to Jessica. So what I'm saying is in order for us to have our direct relationship with God, with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, yes, the pastor plays an important part in our relationship in terms of feeding the flock with biblical uh, theology. But we have to use our own initiative. We have to study the word of God to show ourselves approved. And we have to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit so that he can minister to us. Um, I, I, you know, again, in the Bible, it said that Satan masquerades himself as an angel of light. So if Satan can masquerade himself as an angel of light, it's also possible for the people who work for Satan to masquerade as preachers, but they're not. And I'll say this to you, and this is not an attack against preachers, by the way, or pastors, but I will say this, not every single person who preaches in a pulpit in a church was called by God. And that's quite important because some people go into that point of, of preaching God's word um, because they want to not because God called them to. And this is sometimes how it results in, in what it results in with the prosperity and the church more turning into a business organization for finances. Please, if anyone's got any questions, I don't want to just talk at you. Jess, go ahead. Um, I want to ask, how do you know if um, a preacher is called by God to speak? How do you know? It's not for us to know. That's the thing. But it's for the, this, it's for the person who's actually there to know. You know, um, um, I don't want to paraphrase, but I'll give it very, very briefly. In the book of Samuel, Samuel was someone who was called by God. Um, I'll I, I find it and I'll put it in the group. There was a time where Samuel, his mom, Hannah, said that she would give her son. She said she will give her son to God if she blessed him, if blessed her with a child. So she gave her child to like this priest or, um, you know, this guy and Throughout that time he was growing up there, he was learning all the rituals, he was doing all the things. But then one day he heard God's voice, but he didn't know it was God. He thought it was the priest. So he got up out of his bed and he started running around and he started saying, are you calling me? Are you calling me? I can keep hearing this voice. And the man was saying, no, I'm not calling you. I'm not calling you. And he did it about three times. And then the fourth time the guy said, it's not me, it's God that's calling you. So he heard God's voice. Samuel heard God's voice and him calling him 
to him being the man that he became. So I'm using that as a reference point again, because pastors, priests, or anyone operating at that level in the body of Christ must be called by God because you have to be operating under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, if you're not, you're speaking from flesh. And if you're speaking from flesh, you want to appease flesh. Do you understand what I mean by that? Um, so yeah, so to answer your question, it's not for us to know if pastors or preachers are called, it's for them to know. And if they're not, and they're operating from a place of just wanting to preach for the sake of it, then it's between them and God. And a lot of them, I've heard from people in Christ, they've actually had to repent because, you know, you're dealing with God's flock. You're, you're dealing with God's flock. So you're, yeah. And a lot of these, I don't want to get into it, but a lot of these preachers and pastors, they're not, it's, it's about serving God because we have to remember that Jesus came as a king of all kings down to earth to serve. He was a servant. And that's someone who was the king of all kings. And the problem is with a lot of these churches, a lot, a lot of these pastors actually end up being dictators or they end up being people, like David said, forcing people to give money. That's not, that's not, something, from the, that's not for something from the Holy Spirit. That's a very different spirit. Um, but again, if anyone's got any questions at this point, like, let me know. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, that's really it. That's really it. I'm going to put all these scriptures. I'm going I'm to put all these scriptures in um, for everyone to have a look at, at the end. But I just pray that you, we all have the spirit of discernment and we study the word of God for ourselves and we let the Holy Spirit minister to us so that we know what's right and what's wrong. And that's, that's really it today, man. Um, uh, Jess, do you want to close us out in prayer? Father God, I come before you today, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to come to your presence, Lord. Thank you for allowing us the word to be ministered to our spirit, Lord. Help us to be able to focus on you, Lord, and to be able to go to you for everything we need and to be discerning of anything that we've placed in our spirit, Lord, and guide our path wherever we go, Lord, and speak to us, amen to us, Lord, and help us not to be distracted by things around us, but help us to be aware of the things that are around us that will cause us to draw away from you, Lord. And who that we lift into our spirit, Lord, lead us to the right path and lead us to whatever any person or any pastor that we listen to help us to be able to, to speak to us, Lord, to help us to realize that if this is the right person from you, because you see, you know what, there's a lot of false prophets and a lot of false ministers out there. So help us to be able to be able to go to you whenever we can go to you anytime we want, Lord, and lead us to the right path, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Um, yeah. Thank you, Jess. Um, thanks everyone. Um, yeah, I hope I hope it spoke to you on some level today. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Good. good. It's good to be part good um thank you so yeah we'll be back next week again um i might move on i think maybe but i'll put these these scriptures in the group next week i want to talk about something else but i did touch on it briefly today um i did speak about sex before marriage um so i might touch on like 
the complications of of disobeying God's God's law in terms of sex before marriage and the importance of celibacy. Um, so yeah, I know that you know it's difficult for different people at their different times of their walk. So I just wanted to speak about that next week, and hopefully we can research from now until then. But thanks, guys, and God bless. See you next week. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.